Where's the love in Love Death? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 7 of the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast, where we talk about writing spies and writing about spies. I'm your host, espionage author P.A. Duncan. I've always marketed my novel Love Death as a love story but not what you're expecting. Most of my readers expect the love part focuses on my Fisher and Alexei Bukharin, my characters who are UN spies who happen to be married to each other, but not in a Mr. and Mrs. Smith way because they're on the same side. In today's parlance, I suppose you'd call love death a bromance of sorts between Alexei and his cousin Nikolai Bukharin. Their fathers were twins, and Alexei and Nikolai, roughly the same age, were always mistaken for twins. That curiosity then plays into the hands of some people who are plotting to bring a final end to the Stalinist form of socialism in the old USSR. But you should really read the book to find out the whole convoluted plot. A better story is what inspired me to write a book titled Love, Death. The title comes from a German word, Liebestod. The German language is notorious for cramming multiple nouns together to form a single word. Liebestod means love death, as in dying because of love. That's far too many words for such an efficient people, so Liebestod, love death. Liebestod is also a movement from a Richard Wagner opera, Tristan und Isolde. Now, I'm an opera fan and have been since I was in high school and dating the son of a manager of a classical music station. Wagner has always been one of my favorite composers, and his opera, Tristan und Isolde, a favorite opera, because it's based on an Irish legend. So at some point, Ireland was at war with Cornwall, and the kings of that part of Ireland and Cornwall determined the only way to achieve peace was for the Irish king's daughter, Isolde, to marry the Cornish king, Marke. Marke dispatches his trusted nephew, Tristan, to bring his bride to Cornwall on a ship. During the voyage, Tristan and Isolde fall in love. King Marke finds out and condemns them both to death. The opera progresses, there's a duel, Tristan is fatally wounded, Isolde is beyond distraught, and the sight of the grieving Isolde cradling the dead Tristan softens Marke's heart, and he pardons them on the spot, but Isolde can't live without 
her love, Tristan, and dies from her love for him. Hence, Liebestod. I've never seen the opera performed, but I have heard a recording of it while I had an English translation of the libretto so that I could see what the words meant. It's passionate and tender and heart-wrenching, especially that final scene in Act 3 where Isolde dies. The music from that scene is probably the most recognizable part of the opera. It's included, measures of it are included in the prelude, and it has soft, flowing notes, starts out very quietly, and then swells into a blast of grief and pain. And hearing it, you understand that sometimes love is worth dying for. Well, when I first heard it and first read the libretto, that was pretty heady stuff for a teenager. And if it sounds a bit like Romeo and Juliet, there's a reason for that. Shakespeare may have based that play on the legend of Tristan and Isolde. It wasn't contemporary to Wagner. It had been a legend for centuries. And for the Irish, Isolde is the subject of some national pride. In the opera, Tristan is drawn to her on the voyage because after a rude sailor sings a song demeaning Irish women, Isolde stands up for herself and her country. In 2018, during the Heifetz Institute Summer Concert Series, which takes place where I live, I attended an evening piano concert, and one of the pieces played was Liebestod. I'd only ever heard it played by an orchestra and wondered how well it would translate to the piano. Well, all it takes is the proper pianist. In this case, it was Ms. Jessica Osborne, a pianist from New York who was on the Heifetz faculty that year. The passion and talent she imbued in that piece of music made it transcendent and brought me, called the Ice Queen by my former employees, to tears. The way she rendered Liebestad touched my soul, and I left the concert with the thought, that I had to write something inspired by Liebestod. And I did. My novel, Love, Death, isn't a retelling of Tristan and Isolde, but rather the idea that love can drive you to extremes. You could betray your country for love, or you can willingly die to protect someone you love more than your own life. I encourage you to go to your favorite music platform and search for Liebestod or Wagner, Tristan und Isolde. I tried to find a royalty-free excerpt to include here, but I couldn't find one. Now, when I was writing Love, Death, I played a version of Liebestod performed by Dave Pickle, and I found it on Spotify. I played it like, I don't know, if not dozens of times, then maybe a couple hundred times. 
and I especially needed to have it in the background when I wrote and edited the final scene from the novel Love Death. You might want to read that scene with Liebestod playing, and I hope it gives you goosebumps, too. So that's the love in Love Death. I need to start the commercial break with an abject apology. I announced last week that Love Death would be free from February 12th to February 16th for Valentine's Day and to celebrate its book birthday. My graphics designer did some wonderful graphics and I scheduled all the posts, talked about it on the podcast and in my blog on Monday morning. I decided to check and see how many copies had been downloaded over the weekend. Zero. Zip. Zilch. Nada. Neil. Nikta. How could this be? Usually when I run a freebie like that, people snatch up copies right away. Then I realized I didn't actually remember going into my KDP account and setting up Love Death for its free days. So I checked, and it had completely slipped my mind. I was totally embarrassed, and I went back through social media and deleted the associated post. So, yeah, Valentine's Day was a wash for me anyway, but this gaffe made me want to erase it from the calendar. So I apologize to anyone who went to my Amazon author site and saw that it wasn't free after all. I have made it free, finally, from February 15th, Tuesday, through February 19th on Saturday. So you can try again. And let's hope this screw-up is only the residual effect of a sinus infection and not senility. Mea culpa. As a consolation... If you have a BookFunnel account, you can request a link to a free download of Love Death for me. I'll put that link in the description of this episode. However, my other giveaway of a short story reader magnet is available and running smoothly. The short story Out of the Ordinary is a prologue of sorts for my upcoming new series, Meeting the Enemy, which is about 9-11 and its aftermath. Again, the link to that will be in this episode's description. And confession and commercial over, I'm off to do my acts of penance. Let's read now from Love Death, and I'll set this chapter up. Mai completed her impromptu reconnaissance of the chemical plant, and found information that called for an alteration to the mission plan, namely, how to find out where on the huge plant will the nerve agent production occur. So now we have Alexei using a cover identity to enter East Germany as a high-ranking Soviet agricultural commissar paying a visit to the plant's administrator. Love Death, Chapter 23, The Fun Begins. Alexei Bucharin parked his Lada 
in a section of the parking lot for visitors, noting it was further from the entrance to the annex than he'd wanted. However, it was where the guards at the entrance gate had directed him. They had examined all his paperwork and his identification, consulted their schedule of appointments, and allowed him to enter without much question. Before exiting the car, Alexei settled himself into his Commissar Alexander Vrechkin persona and emerged into the morning sunshine. He extracted his briefcase from the trunk and strode toward the annex's front door. Even for East Germany, the annex's administrative building was a hideous example of socialist architecture. Blocky chunks of unpainted concrete and not enough glass. The lobby was subdued. Everyone would be about their work, of course. No water cooler or break room gossip here. Only the sound of his shoes on the concrete floor painted to look like marble broke the silence. The lobby walls were a gallery of murals extolling agricultural proletariats. The men and women depicted were ideal Aryan specimens, blonde with blue eyes, broad smiles, exquisite white teeth. They can't let go of that, can they? Alexei thought. He headed for the reception desk, plywood, again painted to look like stone. The sole receptionist sat behind the raised desk and spoke softly, almost intimately, into a clunky phone headset. She was young and blonde, as if she'd been a model for the women in the murals. She looked up at Alexei and did a double take, at his classic Slavic features with the hint of the Orient about his eyes, and a business suit, a cut above the average Soviet apparatchik. She blushed, smiled, and hung up on the collar. She stood, unfolding her six feet of height with a slow sensuality Alexei appreciated, even if it meant nothing to him. Her severe bun begged him to release it, as did the pearl-like buttons on her prim white blouse. Her black tapered skirt stopped about mid-knee, a poster child for a dedicated socialist office worker, but looking for someone high enough in stature to take care of her, like an agricultural commissar from Moscow, perhaps? Alexei wouldn't disabuse her of that notion, even if he had no desire to exploit it. At one time, he reminded himself, You'd have had her in the bathroom in under a minute with her blouse unbuttoned and her skirt hiked. How may I help you today, comrade? She cooed. He could think of no other way to describe it. Alexei smiled and let himself look her over. She preened at that, pushing her shoulders back and thrusting her breasts forward. He handed her his card, and she gave it a careful study, either memorizing its details or noting its quality thick cardstock, embossed gold lettering, the raised seal of the agriculture ministry in Moscow rendered in bright colors. She looked at him again, giving his suit the once-over, eyes lingering on the row of medals displayed on the chest pocket and the enamel gold and red Soviet flag pin on his lapel. Her tongue made a swipe of her lips. 
I am Commissar Alexander Vrechkin from the Soviet Ministry of Agriculture, Alexei said. I have appointment with Herr Director Otto Brand. Of course, Comrade Commissar. Let me check. She bent over her appointments book, no doubt to let him peer down her blouse, and made a check next to his name. She straightened and looked at him, her smile broad. Please, have a seat, and I will summon Herr Brand's assistant to escort you. Would you like a cup of coffee? Yes, please, sugar, no cream. Right away, Comrade Commissar. If you'll take a seat there. She pointed to a row of chairs along a wall. The chairs were modern, crisp, and that told Alexei they'd be uncomfortable. He sat where she indicated and watched her because she would expect it. She spoke to someone on the phone, removed the headset, and went to a coffee machine near her desk. After a few moments, she approached Alexei with her best model's walk, her narrow hip swaying like a pendulum. On occasion, brief as that had become, he wished he hadn't promised fidelity to his wife. This may or may not have been one of those occasions. However, he could see nothing wrong with looking. She handed him a cup of coffee along with a paper napkin. On the latter, she'd written her name and phone number. In case you need any assistance here in the city, after hours, she said. He looked up from the napkin and winked at her. I will keep that in mind, Kirsten. A slight blush, a smile, and she walked away. He watched her ass with a silent apology to Mai. After Alexei had had a few sips of the strong coffee, a young man, also reminiscent of the men in the murals, dashed from a bank of elevators toward the reception desk. Kirsten indicated Alexei, and he rose, setting aside the unfinished coffee. The young man rushed over to him. Comrade uh, Commissar Vrechkin, I, I am Comrade Strasser, Herr, Herr Brand's assistant. Uh, has Kirsten seen to your needs, comrade? Indeed, she was most helpful and welcoming. An excellent worker. Strasser looked over his shoulder at Kirsten and turned back to Alexei, leaning closer and lowering his voice. If you wish, comrade, I'll have her sent to your hotel this evening. Herr Director Brand's assistant and pimp, Alexei thought. Let's see how my meeting goes. Uh, yes, of course, comrade the commissar. Uh, would you come with me, please? Strasser again headed for the elevators, Alexei following and making note of the exits compared to the information provided by their inside man. So far, it all matched. Strasser engaged in no small talk on the trip to the top floor. The secretary in Brand's outer office was a bulky woman of Olympic shot-putter proportions. She wore a bland, uniform-like suit and she snapped almost to attention when Strasser let Alexei precede him into the office. Strasser didn't acknowledge her and headed directly for the double smoke glass doors leading to Braun's inner office. Alexei smiled at the secretary, and she blushed almost sweetly 
a hand coming to her mouth to hide her smile. Alexei entered Brand's office through the door Strasser held open, and now, Alexei thought, the fun begins. Okay, I'll set up this week's final reading. Alexei has accomplished his mission at the chemical plant and has managed to cross from East Berlin to West Berlin without much of a problem, thanks to Mai's cocaine fuel distraction at Checkpoint Charlie, where she humiliates a KGB officer she and Alexei have a history with. And later, Alexei receives a communication from that KGB officer and a favor from him. Love Death, Chapter 28, Communication His grumbling stomach woke Alexei from a post-coital doze. Mai lay curled against his side, sound asleep. His arm went around her shoulders, and he kissed the top of her sometimes foolish, always stubborn head. But what an afternoon of lovemaking. Frantic and impassioned at times, slow and languorous at others, the tangled state of the bed covers testified to how delightful it had been. He'd been angry with her for the stunt at Checkpoint Charlie, but that had only heightened the intensity. Since her head injury two years before, she'd run hot and cold on him. Something had been off for a while now, and he still suspected drugs. But he was a man nearing middle age, in love with his much younger wife. The fact she'd wanted him naked as soon as they'd closed the door to the hotel room was all he'd focused on. He'd worry about the cause of her devotion later. For now, he'd take advantage of it, knowing her amorousness could depart as quickly as it had come upon her. His stomach rumbled again. He'd skipped lunch in the need to get out of East Berlin, and, well, he and Mai had been too preoccupied to order room service here. He smiled at the memory and looked around for his clothes. Redressed in his trousers and singlet, he went to the living area of the suite to order some food. As he looked over the menu, a soft tap sounded at the door. He tiptoed to look through the peephole. Herschel Hébert, second-in-command at the West Berlin station. Alexei opened the door for Hébert, a finger to his lips. "'Mai is sleeping,' he said. "'A delivery for you brought over by the Easterners.' Hébert held up a thick envelope. He didn't seem inclined to hand it over, so Alexei opted for some small talk. How did Mr. Metz's reunion go? He broke down over his wife, but his children are good people. They comforted him and told him stories about their mother, how she never stopped thinking of him. Apparently, she wrote a letter every week, and all of them were returned by the East. His children kept them for him. Once he calmed down, he indicated now that it was easier to pass on information, he could tell us more about the pesticides factories layout. 
The past few weeks, he'd filled in on the maintenance staff quite a bit and noted unusual activity in a previously abandoned area of the plant. With what you got from the computer and his additional intel, you should have specific information on where to place your explosive charges. Perfect. I'll mention the increased cooperation to Nelson. I am sure we can come up with a good settlement for Herr Metz. Alexei glanced toward the closed bedroom door and back to Hebert. Any chatter concerning the events this morning at the Annex and Checkpoint Charlie? Nothing connecting them. An asset in the Agricultural Ministry reports they are blaming the alert system failure on Ottobrand and citing his um, suicide as proof of his having done something wrong. The Ministry is also aware now the side bank account from what you gave us and from a file they found on a computer diskette in his office. That has pretty much sealed it. We have sent the Ministry a message from Commissar Vrechkin indicating he was checked at a hospital and found all right, and that he has arranged to return immediately to Moscow. Since only you and Bran knew the purpose for your visit, we saw no need to schedule another meeting for Commissar Vrechkin. Comrade Metz's fake body will be found on Monday, dead of a stroke, and unfortunately his face will have been disfigured by rats. As for Checkpoint Charlie, the army is saying it was an accidental discharge of a weapon and that the soldier responsible is being disciplined. Diplomatic apologies and some overwrought chagrin have been expressed and the station chief says Nelson is calling in some markers in the east. Alexei pointed to the envelope Hebert still held. You said that was for me. A bear handed it to him. It arrived a couple of hours ago at our usual drop site in East Berlin. One will now have to change, by the way. The East Berlin station couriered it over right away. The large envelope had Tolka Glaza, Alexei in Bukharin, written in neat Cyrillic printing on the seal flap. Eyes only for him. The seal was unbroken. My station chief and I debated whether or not to open it. I wanted to. He said since it was addressed to you... A bear broke off with a shrug. Thank you for bringing it personally, Herschel. Alexei laid the envelope aside. A bear looked at it and almost licked his lips. Though you need my and me to debrief you, or is the after-action report sufficient? A bear tore his eyes away from the envelope. This was a headquarters operation, Alexei. The after-action report will be fine. Please forward me anything further about the two events today. Of course. Another glance toward the bedroom, for all Alexei knew... Mai was on the other side with her ear pressed to the door. Have you been able to find out anything on the private matter I asked about? No, nothing at all. Sachata hasn't mentioned anything happening in Prague. I think you may need to use other sources, informal ones, 
closer to the private matter. Not what he wanted to hear, but also not Hebert's fault he couldn't get an answer. So, my, Hebert said, is she all right, you know, um, after the injury? He tapped his temple. We heard it was bad, and, well, that stunt today... Defensiveness curled Alexei's hands into fists. Yes, it was a bad injury, but she has recovered. Oh, physically, yes, that much is obvious. Today indicates perhaps uh, not so much emotionally. Lips tight, Alexei said, She is fine. Hebert nodded. He got the message. Always a pleasure working with you both. Give my my regards. I'm sorry we couldn't help on the private matter. I'll let myself out. Alexei waited until Hebert was probably in the elevator to open the envelope. Two dozen photographs, all of my, taken by a telephoto lens and a bit grainy, but easily identifiable. Shit, he muttered. He shuffled through them and saw the whole sequence of events, from her arrival on the catwalk to the obscene gesture at the end. Seeing it made him angry again. No, more than angry. What a stupid, fucking, senseless thing to do. And she knew better. He'd trained her to know better. Attached to the final photo was a note, written in Russian, in a cursive style favored by bureaucrats or KGB agents with OCD. Alexei read, The negatives have been destroyed and photographer taken care of. Unfortunately, he had time to print these, but I intercepted them before they could be sent anywhere. I courteously provide them to you to dispose of. Bullshit, Alexei thought you were ordered to do so. Remind your wife of long-standing Moscow rule. Do not harass opposition. She is excellent marksman, however. No damage except some concrete dust on my perfectly shine shoes. Considering she did shoot me last time we encountered each other, we are even. Next time, I may not be so generous in my forgiveness. Finally, you should soon hear from your mentor concerning issue you have been inquiring about. We think alike on many things. D.K. D.K. Dmitry Kargan, the KGB's top man in East Berlin, who used a code phrase whose meaning only Alexei would know. A reminder that he and Kargan were working toward the same goal, but Cargan's goals and Alexei's would never overlap. Alexei would send him a message to remind him Alexei had not forgotten his KGB ways. Any move against Mai would result in retaliation, Alexei would say, and he would remind Cargan he was the father of small children. Alexei returned the pictures and note to the envelope and buried that beneath a stack of clothes in one of his duffels. He made himself not think about the communication Cargan had said was forthcoming. 
Alexei had an operation to complete. For now, though, he picked up the room service menu and made his call. Okay, that's all for today. Next week, we'll wind up the book birthday celebration for Love, Death, and hopefully I won't screw anything else up. I hope everyone had a great Valentine's Day. I took my granddaughter out for a combined birthday and Valentine's Day dinner. She loved the dinosaur-themed birthday cake I made for her, complete with a volcano and flowing lava, not to mention a nest of eggs guarded by Mama Triceratops while a river of lava holds back an attacking T-Rex. See? I can make anything into a story. Have a great weekend, and remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, keep an eye out for spies. The proceeding has been a production of Unexpected Paths Media, copyright 2022, all rights reserved. Tune in next week for an all-new episode of the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast.